Welcome to this episode of Right Stuff with me, Chris Fitzgerald, through the Head Stuff Podcast Network. In this episode, I speak to Ian Maleney, whose book of essays, Minor Monuments, is one of many recent essay collections by Irish authors that are rightly gaining huge praise from everyone. We cover a lot in this, including a lot of the themes of Minor Monuments. We recorded this at Listowel Writers Week, so thanks to all there for their help again. And I started by asking Ian about going out to events like Listowel Writers Week and speaking at these events and how he feels about that as a writer. Try not to think about it at all, because it's not very conducive to the actual writing process at all. I'd say it's probably massively counterproductive to to that. I, I don't find like it's it's fine. It's it it's fun to do. It's great to get out of Dublin and meet people and, and talk about it and, and meet people who actually uh, are reading the book and getting something out of it I think is is very rewarding but at the same time it's not writing and it's important to remember that there's another job that you're meant to be doing at, uh, at the same time you know yeah, yeah. and are you managing to do it at the same time? <laughs> no <laughs> no not at all no uh, no I've been I've been very bad uh, last couple of months yeah okay. I usually go through long periods where I'm not doing a whole lot anyway so I'm not too worried about it but yeah I thought it'd be easier to kind of snap back into it but no it's been just have to wait it's kind of surprising there's a couple of elements in the book that have been that people are really connected with I think um, one is that sense of moving away from home and not being quite able to ever regain it in the same way as, as maybe it is in your head um, and the other is Alzheimer's which everyone seems to have a story about and a, and a relationship with um but i think yeah the the moving away from a rural place i think it's not even the rural place itself i think it's moving away from home i think that's more it's more general in a sense people you know i've had people who grew up in inner city dublin talk to me about that sense of moving away and not quite being able to ever regain that relationship and i think that's really interesting that it's not the place itself it's not the specific characteristics of rural Ireland. Although there are lots of issues around that um, that are separate to urban areas. But there's a thing that happens when you leave the place where you grow up. If you spend a bit of time away from it, your relationship to it changes. And it can go many different ways. It can be nostalgic, it can be a welcome break can be you never want to go back there there's loads of different ways you can have that but I think people have related to that sense of not quite being able to leave it but not quite being able to be there either I think that's the main feeling I have for it anyway things are more concentrated now just naturally uh, people have always moved to cities for work that's the, the story of rural Ireland basically and rural areas everywhere but there's a little bit of a difference now in the, the sense of concentration of particularly certain kinds of jobs like professional jobs, well-paid jobs, career jobs, uh, are massively concentrated in cities. Limerick is a good example of, of, of that. You know, you can work in a well-paid tech job in Limerick City if you want. You probably can't do that in West Kerry. <laughs> I don't know what the broadband is like, then, <laughs> but unless it's better than it is in West Offaly, uh, you can't really. And I think that's like, it's just that sense of connectivity and that sense of, Proximity is so useful, particularly at a, at a certain stage in your life, your 20s or 30s, where there's a lot to be gained from being around other people who are also trying to do things and also trying to, you know, move up in the world or, or get jobs or move on or do or just even just make things. 
and by osmosis kind of yeah thing. just like being around it seeing it happen makes it seem like it's possible yeah, yeah and i think that's one of the things that you know when i was a kid and i certainly when i was a teenager i would look at bands and and artists and stuff and just think that's another world and i'm not saying dublin's the center of anything <laughs> regarding cultural life but at the same time you meet a lot of people who are doing good stuff and they're just ordinary people and they kind of realize yeah it's actually it's accessible and it, it doesn't really matter so then did all of this experience with these people give you the idea that you could write a book <laughs> I don't know. could that have happened if you just stayed in West Offaly and survived no I don't think so right. I mean I might have written a book but I can't imagine it would have been very good and I don't think it would have been published um I think it's important. Like, it certainly would have been a very different book. Um, because I think it is the gap between leaving and not quite returning. That sense of watching a changing relationship. That is what produced the book. It wasn't, I want to write a book. It didn't start out like that. It was just, this thing is happening and I'm trying to notice it and I'm trying to pay attention to it. And gradually, over the course of many years, like the book became the, the way that I could do that. It was never, I never set out with the idea of writing a book. It just came together. Can you talk a bit about that then? Because the book is composed of essays, essentially, mm. that are standalone and could be read alone and enjoyed, just like that. But there's also coherence to them throughout. Yeah. So I wonder, was there chronology to the writing of them? Or was there a point at which you realized like, you could stitch all of these together to be a really good, coherent I think when I, when it, it became clear to me that I was working on a book, I thought the book would be a lot broader. I thought it would range about a lot more. The subjects would be much more diverse um, and the approaches would be much more diverse. But over the course of about two years of, of writing the essays, I realized I didn't need that and that it was actually going against what the kind of weight of the book um, the book seemed to just be coming together narrower and narrower as I went along, which I now take to be a very good sign uh, that I'm I'm on the right path, that it's, I'm not looking everywhere for ideas, I'm not looking everywhere for trying to make these big connections between things, but the connections are natural and very close together, and that made it uh, very cohesive by the end, I think. It didn't start out that way, um, but yeah, over... 18 months or two years, they just got narrow and narrow and narrow until I was really only writing about one thing. So, but did you then have to work on that thread of those themes of the memory and of home and of sound as well? Is the kind of thread that goes throughout it? Was there just kind of retrospective, kind of looking back on all of the pieces and seeing how you could thread them together with these themes, or did that just, as you say, naturally happen? It kind of naturally happened. So, the first essay in the book. Um, and the Wind of Tremendously Blue, which is published in Winter Papers. It was the first essay from the book to appear anywhere. Um, and I start write, I had started writing it about it over a year before I finished it or before it appeared. And everything I think that's in the book is in that essay. Yeah. And has all, that's why it's first, because it's yeah, it, 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 it just felt like if I could fit all these different threads into this one essay, I'll be able to fit them into the book. And it, it would set them all up. So that none of them, anything that came in later on would be already in the reader's mind, hopefully. Mm. 
um, if they're reading it in order. So I think that essay kind of set the book up and made it, uh, gave it its structure naturally. Yeah, there are so many lovely scenes in it, and like an awful lot that I could relate to it all of my grandparents and the, the old white range and the, mm. and the, the stations as well, going around from house <laughs> to house. Like, that's something that like, we, the next generation will say, like, will not be able to fathom at all that that happened, yeah, you know? Yeah. And also, there's a kind of sense of loss, maybe, I, I would be pro secularization of the country, but there's a loss of the, the church as a kind of center point of the community. Yeah. Um, and you kind of touch on that as well. The church and the pub seem to be kind of being lost, especially out of rural Ireland, out of those places that people used to go to just kind of vent, you know, either through prayer or through like ranting over a pint. Um, so is, do you feel that kind of sense of loss in rural Ireland as well now? Because you also mentioned, I think Michael Harding comes up in the book. He does, yeah. He, yeah. he has this, he kind of laments about the, the forests kind of um, taking over mm. farms and countryside again. And, see the houses disappearing is that something that you're you're kind of torn on that because you also like kind of being an eco-friendly youth and all this as well, like <laughs> yeah. it is the natural way of things but um what's your stance on that now it's a big one it is a, it's a huge one yeah and and i don't think there's a, i don't think there is a right answer or a, even necessarily like a cohesive position um that i can take on it because I'm all for, very much for sustainable sort of development. Um, and, you know, one-off housing is probably the least sustainable development imaginable, particularly the way we do it here. And at the same time, we've made our cities pretty unlivable in terms of, certainly Dublin in terms of rent and Cork is always heading much the same way as well. Limerick's a little bit better for now, but uh, it's a matter of time really. And like, so I, I go back and forth on this and like what counts as like a reasonable life in a place you know yeah part of it like yeah. just in terms of comfort and in terms of like stability and uh the investment that you make as a person in a place you know if you if you're going to raise a family in a place or if you're going to work in a place any any of these kind of major kind of life questions that you're, you're going to have about where you're going to live like if you if you have the the luxury, I suppose, of, of having a choice in that. Do I want to live in a place where I can have green space and, and probably relatively low housing costs and, you know, small classroom sizes for my kids or stuff like that? Yeah. These like real serious questions that yeah. you, you have to ask yourself. And, or do I want to be part of a larger community or a different kind of community or... Um, different kinds of activities or different kinds of work and yeah there's just there's no easy answers I think for for rural Ireland generally speaking I think it the, the thing that I, I think about most often is is the lack of a sense of momentum that's very hard to generate like you look at you know I, I come back say I get off the train not alone or something and the lack of people between 20 and 35 that's a, that's a huge gap and they're the people who generate that momentum yeah. and they need certain things they need you know spare cash at the end of the day to be able to like support each other and do the fun things that they want to do and make new things and take risks yeah. and you know people in Dublin are so squeezed that they don't necessarily have that all the time and it just 
it's a very difficult sort of bind at the minute for people of, of a certain age that where they're just being squeezed from from every end and it's not it's hard to get that momentum going hard to create communities hard to uh, push things forward it's like you're always sacrificing something always <laughs> you, can't, you can't have everything as my parents would say as well but um, it's very hard these days to have anything really it's, anything. <laughs> yeah, it's true yeah. like and on that then as a writer is it is that a sustainable lifestyle like is it I mean <laughs> no. I know you only have one book out uh, and like but you also you also have you're in fallow media is that right yeah, um, yeah. so like does it, or is it possible to make a living I mean like for creative artists not just writers now but I mean it's again are you sacrificing you may have to sacrifice not you in particular but one may have to sacrifice their artistic output for financial gain and that's another huge loss isn't it of course yeah i mean I, I know so many people who you know spent their 20s making music writing making art whatever and you know they're civil servants now <laughs> if they're lucky and and like that's that's just the way life goes right you you make those trade-offs i couldn't there's no way i could like make a serious living off writing alone i mean i do lots of different things i've always done uh, a million different jobs trying to like patch together some sort of uh, living yeah. <laughs> out of it and sometimes that's barely worked and sometimes it hasn't worked at all and sometimes you have a couple of months where it goes well and I think that's it's just ups and downs and I'm in a situation where I can make those trade-offs if you know what I mean I'm relatively free I don't have a whole lot of people depending on me or anything like that and I, I I can say okay, I'm gonna work extra hard this month and, and focus on this so that I can take next month quieter and, and work on something else that I want to do. Most people don't have that luxury. They have they have real lives. You know they have car loans and, and mortgages and, and all these kinds of things. And it's it's I'm very aware of the fact that I put off a lot of things as a result of of wanting to live life in a certain way, and that's fine. I accept that. But you put off things as in like relationships or all that kind of stuff? Well, no, I'm in a, I'm in a happy long-term relationship, or, yeah, thankfully. But, but the kind of life stages. Yeah, the life stages stuff. You're kind of just thinking, yeah, I would have done that already. Mm. But I don't, like, I don't even drive, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, like, you know, it's there's these things that seem normal to lots of people that you just realize you've put on hold. You haven't, it doesn't seem real to you because you don't, you, you've, made other decisions and gone other ways and I'm not saying that those are bad I, I have a fine life but at the same time you know there's a bit in the book about like you know my parents were married at 23 you know I was born they were 25 I'm nearly 30 now they, they were almost three kids in you've written a book I've written a book <laughs> so we like you know trade-offs trade -offs there yeah, yeah. so we'll see but is, does that mean that there's always a sense of like could have done Get away from that or can you no I don't, I don't think you can get away from it yeah. I think it's just important to try and recognize yeah. why you've made the decisions even if you didn't seem, think you were making a decision at the time mm -hmm. which I'm particularly culpable of <laughs> uh, you look back and you're like oh I made a whole bunch of choices there that I didn't realize I was making and now I am where I am and that's you just try and deal with it as you, as you go along and try to be try to learn from it I suppose right. in, and that's possibly only possible in retrospect sometimes yeah. um, can you just maybe talk about the importance of, I don't know if Patrick Kavanaugh was within it. Yeah, absolutely was, yeah. yeah. Um, and were these people you first came across in school? And like, when did you start to kind of get into them in a personal way? I think 
Haney was was very important to me as a teenager and uh, in early sort of college years um, as a you know man who grew up in a on a farm and, and left it and, and was writing about it and had that sort of love for it and nostalgia for it and, and, and a, at the same time a critical eye towards it as well um, was obviously hugely inspirational in that it was stuff that I could connect with immediately. Patrick Avenue was exactly the same. I mean, Terry Flynn is an extremely relatable book for, for people even now, which is scary. Um, you know, the, the essay about Heaney, in a sense, it started off being about Heaney, Kavanagh, McGahern, and trying to plot a path through those three writers. And eventually, there wasn't room for uh, McGahern and Kavanagh in it. But uh, they're, they're, hu- like they're huge figures. They're of my granddad's generation as well. They're all, you know, within, say, 10 years, um, all pretty much within 10 years of, of my granddad. And it felt like they were men of his age. And I sort of had some sort of familiarity with them and the kind of culture that they would have grown up in because I was growing up in certainly a, an echo of it myself and and so I, I i think particularly with heaney there is a sense now of him being you know almost kind of godlike poet figure and i don't like that i don't i i, I want to I, the essay for me is about trying to take some of that away break it back down to like his him as a person and, and his sort of outlook on life and the kind of maybe flaws in that or the, or the sort of disagreements I would have with certain aspects of, of the way that he went towards the end of his career and his life and trying to just like poke a few holes in the sort of you know untouchable figure and, and bring him back down to earth where he was best yeah. you know and I'm trying to not just like say oh he's an influence but he is but also things are different now and we have to assess him in the context of in our own context as well. How, how can we take these people who are such big figures in, in Irish literary history and, and bring them with us and yeah. reevaluate them for our own lives? The bog is an interesting one, I think, because Heaney's metaphors for the bog have become so commonplace and they didn't quite... I felt that they were lacking in some way. Um, Heaney's idea of the bog as a, a national archive in which, you know, things are put into it in the past and now we're, like, we're dragging them out. That that's basically what it is. It's just this dead space where, and we're just dragging things out of it from the past. And that's maybe an oversimplification of the idea, but I think it, it, it that's the way the idea has been taken and kind of used. And, and this idea of the bog being an archive, when there are people still living in and around right. it and working on it, and you know raising families around it and, and spending their whole lives in and around it, didn't seem right to me. We're still walking in and out of the bog. We're still putting things in. We're still, it's still shaping us as much as we're shaping it. And I, I don't, I felt there was a kind of, there has, I don't think this is necessarily true of Heaney himself, but in the way that Heaney's been read, a sort of closing off of the bog and saying that's in the past. Okay. And that's just a repository for things that happen in some like, you know, distant history. But I prefer the Tim Robinson version of the bog where we're still making it. We're still shaping it and walking in and out. And I think that's that sense of, it's not so much me wanting to wrestle with the idea of the influence, although I do that a small bit with Heaney, but it's more about the way people have been read and the metaphors that they've used and how those metaphors have kind of come into the language and into the, our understanding of our landscape and then yeah, trying yeah. to evaluate that in the context of my own life and whether I've reached different conclusions or you know, trying to find out where I fit, I suppose. And, 
what all the thinking I've done is yeah, for, basically. Yeah. So influence not just as a writer, but influence as a person and your ideas and thoughts. And oh yeah, absolutely. I don't, I don't think there's any difference between yeah. the writer and the person for me anyway. It, it's particularly when you're writing essays, you're, you're just trying to think out loud. That's all I'm trying to do, basically, is just think as clearly and as sort of uh, thoroughly as I can about any given idea, whatever is kind of on my mind that I can't stop thinking about. I want to try and get it out there. And writing is a really powerful way of doing that because it allows you to have some sense of distance from your own thoughts, but then come back to it and come back to it and come back to it and go deeper and deeper into what you're trying to think through and hopefully by the end reach some degree of clarity about what you've done and or what you think and that like to me that's been the great gift of the book in a certain sense is that I do have a degree of clarity about certain things which are important to me and that's Does it become like a permanent thought? It basically yeah that, that's again that's a, that's a massive issue in the Heaney essay of, of like this is permanent this is I'm when I come when I need to think about this again I will do so in the context of having done this writing and I will use this writing as a sort of crutch to my memories in the future and yeah that's a lot to think about but it's thanks for having me on podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network.